0: Section 10 A Daughter of the Sioux This is a LibriVox recording All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain For more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org Reading by Mike Vendetti mikevendetti.com A Daughter of the Sioux by General Charles King Chapter 10 I'll never go back A sharp affair indeed was that of this September day a fight long talked of on the frontier if soon forgotten in the states obedient to his orders to push to the relief of the imperiled party on the dry fork ray had made good time to moccasin ridge even though saving horses and men for the test of the later hours well he knew his march would be watched by some of stabber's band but little did he dream at starting that indian strategy would take the unusual form of dropping what promised to be a sure thing leaving the people at the stage station to the guardianship of less than a dozen braves and launching out with a big band to aid an attack on one lone detachment that might not come at all but lame wolf reasoned that the people penned at the stage station were in no condition to attempt to escape they were safe whenever he chose to return to them and lame wolf knew this of stammer that he had long been a hanger-on at the military reservations that he had made a study of the methods of the White Chiefs, that he was able to almost accurately predict what their course would be in such events as this, and that Stabber had recently received accessations whose boast it was that they had information at first hand of the White Chiefs' plans and intentions. Stabber had sent swift runners to Lame Wolf, urging him to bring his warriors to aid him in surrounding the first troops sent forth from Frayne. Stabber had noted, year after year, that it was almost invariable policy of our leaders to order a small force at the start, and then, when that was crushed, to follow it with a big one that should have been sent in the first place. Kennedy's successful coming was known to Stabber quite as soon as it was to Webb. It may well be that Stabber let him through, feeling confident what the result would be, and then despite a certain jealousy not confined entirely to savage rival leaders lame wolf had confidence in stabber's judgment ray had expected long-range flank fire and possibly occasional resistance in front but assured of stabber's paucity in numbers and believing lame wolf too busy to send stabber substantial aid he thought a sharp lesson or two would clear his front of such indians as sought to check him and so rode serenely forward rejoicing in his mission and his game and devoted little command something beyond that second ridge he said to field in sending him forward with the bulk of the platoon and field who had been silent and brooding woke at the summons and all animation at the scent of danger spurred swiftly ahead to join the advance and see for himself what manner of hindrance awaited them leaving the baker's dozen of his platoon to trot steadily on under lead of his sergeant while ray with his trumpeter followed midway between his advance and clayton's platoon intact moving quietly at the walk and held in reserve ordinarily ray would himself have ridden to the far front and personally investigated the conditions but he was anxious that field should understand he held the full confidence of his temporary commander he wished field to realize that now he had opportunity for honorable distinction and a chance to show what was in him and having sent him forward ray meant to rely on his reports and be ready to back if possible his dispositions nothing so quickly demolishes prejudice in garrison as prowess in the field not infrequently has an officer gone forth under a cloud and returned under a crown it is so much easier to be a hero in a single fight than a model soldier through an entire season at least it was so in the old days but the moment mr field dismounted and leaving his horse with the others along the slope had gone crouching to the crest he leveled his glasses for one look then turned excitedly and began rapid signals to his followers. Presently, a young trooper came charging down, making straight for Ray. "'The lieutenant's compliments,' said he. "'But there's a dozen Sioux in sight, and he wishes to know—' "'Shall we charge?' "'A dozen Sioux in sight. That was unusual. Ordinarily, the Indian keeps in hiding, lurking behind sheltering crests and ridges in the open country, or the trees and underbrush, where such cover is possible. "'A dozen in sight?' "'How far ahead, Murray?' asked the captain, as he shook free his rein, and started forward at the gallop. "'Did you see them yourself?' "'Yes, sir. Most of them were bunched by the roadside, jabbing with their blances at something or other. Two or three were closer in. They must have been watching us, for they only quit the ridge just before we came up. Then they skedaddled.' The vernacular of the Civil War days, long since forgotten, except about the few veteran soldiers, home in the East. Was still in use at times in regiments like the which had served the four years through with the Army of the Potomac. Old sergeants gave the tone to younger soldiers in all the customs of the service. The captain and the two men now with him had caught up with field's swift trotting support by this time, and the eyes of the men kindled instantly at the sight of their leader speeding easily by, cool, confident, and as thoroughly at home as though it were the most ordinary skirmish drill. Those who have never tried it do not quite realize what it means to ride in closed ranks and compact column, silent and unswerving, straight forward over open fields toward some equally silent crest that gives no sign of hostile occupancy, and yet may suddenly blaze with vengeful fires and spit its hissing lead into the faces of the advancing force. Even here, where the ridge was already gained by two or three of the advance proving, therefore, that the enemy could not be in possession, men saw by the excitement manifest in the signals of the lieutenant, and indeed of Sergeant Scott, who had spent fifteen years in the ranks, that Indians must be close at hand. The crest was barely five hundred yards in front of the section, and they were still bunched a splendid mark if the foe saw fit by sudden dash to regain the ridge and pour in rapid fire from their magazine rifles every ward of the nation as a rule had his winchester or henry about a six to one advantage to the red men over the sworn soldier of the government in a short-range fight the lieutenant was a brave lad and all that and could be relied on to do his share in a shindy as the sergeant put it but when it came to handling the troop to the best advantage, giving them full swing when they met the foe on even terms and a fair field, but holding them clear of possible hemiscade. Then Captain Billy, is the boss in the business, was the estimate of his men, and every heart beat higher at sight of him. He would know just what to do for them, and knowing would do it. Even as he went loping by, Ray had half turned, with something like a smile in his dark eyes and a nod of his curly head to the sergeant commanding, and a gesture of the gauntleted hand, a horizontal sweep to the right and left. Twice repeated had given the veteran his cue, and with another moment Windsor had the dozen in line, at open yet narrow intervals, with carbons advanced and ready for business. They saw their captain ride swiftly up the gentle slope until close to the crest, then off he sprang, tossed his reins to the trumpeter, and went hurrying afoot to join the lieutenant. They saw him kneeling as though to level his glasses and look fixedly forward, saw Field run back to his horse and mount in a twinkling, saw him whirl about as though coming to place himself at their head, yet rein in at once, his charger's forefeet plowing the turf at some word from their leader. Field was eager to charge, but Ray had seen for himself and for his men, and Ray said, No, Another moment, and all at the front were again in saddle. field back with the advance, Ray coolly seated astride his pet sorrel, scouting a second ridge far to the north with his glasses, and sending as before. Scott and his three troopers straight on to the front, and signaling to the flankers to continue the move. Ten seconds, study of the position in the long, wide, shallow depression before him, had fathomed the scheme of the savage, the little knot of Indians jabbering, yelping prodding and circling about some unseen object on the turf feigning ignorance of the soldiers coming was at the old-time trick to get the foremost troopers to charge and chase to draw them on in all the dash and excitement of the moment far ahead three miles perhaps of the main body and so enable all the lurking band behind that second curtain the further ridge to come swooping down to surround overwhelm and butcher the luckless few then be off to safe distance long before the mass of the troop could possibly reach the scene. "'No, you don't, Stabber,' laughed Ray as Field, not a little chagrined, and the dozen at his back came trotting within hearing distance. "'That Dodge was bald-headed when I was a baby. Look, Field,' he continued, they were jabbing at nothing there on the prairie. That was a fake captive they were stabbing to death. See them all scooting away now? They'll rally behind that next ridge.' and we'll do a little fooling of our own.' And so, with occasional peep at feathered warriors on the far left flank, and frequent hoverings of small parties on the distant front, Ray's nervy half-hundred pushed steadily on. Two experiments had satisfied the Sioux that the captain himself was in command, and they had long since recognized the Sorrels. They knew of old Ray was not to be caught by time-worn tricks they had failed to pick off the advance or the officers as the troop approached the second ridge lame wolf's big band was coming fast but only a dozen of his warriors sent lashing forward had as yet reached stabber the latter was too weak in numbers to think of fighting on even terms and as ray seemed determined to come ahead why not let him word was sent to wolf not to risk showing south of the elk tooth spur there in the breaks and ravines would be a famous place to lie in ambush leaving to Stabber the duty of drawing the soldiers into the net so there in the breaks they waited while ray's long skirmish line easily maneuvered the red sharpshooters out of their lair on the middle divide then reforming column the little command bore straight away for the elk but all these diversions took time Twenty miles to the north of Frayne stretched the bold divide between the Elk Fork, dry as a dead tooth much of the year, and the sandy bottom of the Box Elder. Here and there along the ridge were sudden mound-like upheavals that gave it a picturesque, castellated effect, for, unlike the general run of the country, the Elk Tooth seemed to have a backbone of rock that shot forth southeastward from the southern limit of the beautiful Bighorn Range, and, in two or three places during some prehistoric convulsion of nature, it had crushed itself out of shape and forced upward a mass of gleaming rock that, even in the course of centuries, had not been overgrown with grass. Elk-teeth the Indian had called these odd projections, and one of them, the middle one, of the three most prominent, was a landmark seen for many a mile except to the south and west eagle Butte was the only point south of the big and in the valley of the Platte, from which it could be seen and famous were these two points in the old days of the frontier for the beacon fires that burned or the mirror signals that flashed on their summits when the war parties of the sioux were afield it was the sight of puffs of smoke sailing skyward from the crest of the middle tooth that caught ray's attention the moment he reached the second ridge a moment before had been devoted to recalling some of his eager men who from the extreme right of the swinging skirmish line had broken away in pursuit of certain intentional laggards then a dozen of the indians finding themselves no longer followed gathered at comparatively safe distance across the prairie and while in eager consultation found time for taunting challenging and occasionally firing at the distant and angering troopers whom sergeant scott had sharply ordered back and ray after calm survey of these fellows through his glasses had then levelled it at the trio of buttes along the distant ridge and turned to field sitting silent and disappointed by his side there field said the captain take this glass and look at those signal smokes stabber has more men now at his call than he had when he started and more yet are coming they were just praying you would charge with a handful of men they would have let you through then closed around and cut you off do you see boy field touched his hat brim "'You know them best, sir,' was the brief answer. "'What I wanted was a chance at those fellows hanging about our front and calling us names. "'You'll get it, I'm thinking, before we're an hour older. "'They know whether we're bound and mean to delay us all they can. "'Ah, Clayton,' he added as the junior lieutenant rode up to join them, while his platoon dismounted to reset saddles behind the screen of the skirmish-line. Men look full of fight, don't they? There, if anywhere's where we'll get it. I've just been showing Field those signal-smokes. Mount and follow when you're halfway down to that clump of cottonwoods yonder. We must reach those people at the stage station tonight. And I may have to give these beggars a lesson first. Watch for my signal and come ahead lively if I turn toward you and swing my hat. All ready? Field, shove ahead. And this was the last conference between the three officers that eventful morning. As, once again, the advance guard pushed cautiously forward towards the bank of the arroyo in the bottom. Ray turned to Field. Skirmish work suits you better than office duty, Field. You look far livelier than you did yesterday. Don't you begin to see that the Major was right in sending you out with us?" And the dark eyes of the trained and experienced soldier shone kindly into the face of the younger man. "'I'm glad to be with you, Captain Ray,' was the prompt answer. "'It isn't my being sent, but the way I was sent, or the cause for which I was sent that stings me. I thought then, and I think now, that if you had been post commander—' it wouldn't have been done i don't know yet what charge has been laid at my door there was no time to talk of reasons field interposed ray though his keen eyes were fixed on the distant ridge ahead beyond which the last of the indians had now disappeared the outermost troopers with sergeant scott were within a few hundred yards of the little clump of cottonwoods that marked the site of a water-hole To the right and left of it curved and twisted the dry watercourse between its low, jagged, precipitous banks. Behind the advance, full four hundred yards, rode the skirmish line from the first platoon a dozen strong. Far out to the east and west, the flankers moved steadily northward, keenly watching the slopes beyond them and scanning the crooked line of the arroyo ahead. Not a sign at the moment could be seen of the painted foe yet every man in the troop well knew they swarmed by dozens behind the buttes and bridges ahead ray and field riding easily along in rear of the line with only the trumpeter within earshot relaxed in no measure the vigilance commanded by the situation yet each was deeply concerned in the subject of the talk there was no time we had to start at once continued ray wait until you are back at the old desk field and you'll find the major is and was your staunch friend in this matter i'll never go back to it captain broke in Field impetuously if ordered to resume duty as adjutant come what may i shall refuse but before ray could interpose again there came sudden and stirring interruption from a point far down the swale from behind the low bank of the stream bed three rifle shots rang out on the crisp morning air. The horse of the leading flanker, away out to the right, reared and plunged violently, the rider seeming vainly to strive to check him. Almost instantly, three mounted warriors were seen tearing madly away, northeastward, out of the gully, their feathers streaming in the wind. Field spurred away to join his men. Ray whirled about in saddle and swung his broad brimmed scouting hat high above his head and signaled to Clayton, then shouted to Field, Forward to the Cottonwoods! Gallop! He cried, We need them first of all. End of chapter 10